Someone this morning said to me, uh, thank you for being here. That was a great mass message last week, but I didn't do my homework. So there's kind of a high and a low, right? Nice. Made no impact. And uh, he will remain nameless, but he's a ski instructor. So if... <laughs> I have been, but I want to get my house put together first. So we have life as well. And I think sometimes we go through life thinking, man, if we just walk in obedience, everything's going to be hunky-dory. I haven't found that yet. And so I want to encourage you, life is life. As we've been here, my frustration is that we've only scratched the surface of what we're talking about. I've done this in three messages with you guys, Lord willing, today. But uh, online, the messages I'm doing, it's going to take nine or 12, I think, to finish all this. So if you're interested in getting some more of this, you can give me your email. I'll put you on the mailing list and you can do whatever you want with that. We haven't talked much about how to put these principles into practice. And I want to tell you that that's really the key, right? In spite of not doing your homework. So um, it doesn't matter what we know if we don't or can't apply what we know. And so I hope it's been an encouragement or at least whetted your appetite a bit to understand what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's different than believing about Jesus right? Believing Jesus or believing in Jesus is different than believing about Jesus. James tell us even the demons believe about Jesus. They know who he is right well, and they shudder. Believing in Jesus is believing him enough to follow him, believing in him enough to believe him and trust in what he says, in spite of circumstances. Any of you ever have circumstances? No? Okay, this is probably not the church for you. (laughs) We have stuff, right? Um, And in spite of that, in fact, because of that, The world gets to look at our lives, and we get to look at our lives and say, does God make a difference in the circumstances? That's where our faith is put to the test. I'm encouraged for you guys. uh, You're in a transition. Please nod. I hope you know this. As churches in America and as believers in America, we're all in a transition right now. Linda and I are in a major transition. For the first time in our adult lives, I'm not pastor. Well, that's not true. Uh, I was a coach for a while and some other things, but I flunked out of all those. So um, I've been a pastor for better part of 40 years, and now I'm not a full-time pastor. And there was a dear saint who came in, and he found out when I was resigning And he said, I'm so happy for you. I said, what do you mean? He said, your identity has been as a pastor, and you're about to lose that. Now you just get to be a son of God. And I thought, I like that, man. And he said, get rid of all your books. I said, "Uh uh-uh. He said, see, your identity is in your books and your ministry. I didn't. I have them all on shelves, and now I have to box them up and get rid of them again. We've talked about the importance of being on target spiritually. I've been, we've been thinking through what it means to be disciples and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. What's a disciple? Yes. You, I, told, I like it. He told me, you've been training us to speak up, so I'm going to. A follower is a disciple. A disciple is a follower. It's a learner. It's not a student. When we say the word student, what do we mean? Somebody who sleeps in class. I was a former English teacher, right? They didn't do my homework either. A learner is someone who is so in tune with the, the person who is learning them that they want to learn. I remember being at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago 
And some classes I was like this. And some classes, I remember Dr. Foos, everybody, nobody liked to take Dr. Foos's class. We used to call him Foosie. And, and he was so hard that everybody avoided his classes. I loved his classes. You know why? He believed what he taught. And he pulled me in. And I, I took everything I could from him, which really was a bummer during homework time. But I loved sitting under Dr. Foose's ministry because he believed what he was teaching. And I thought, that's a man I want to learn from. So my homework was not painful for him. It was purposeful. Let's review this morning. I want to give you a brief review of where we've been. We talked about accuracy, intimacy, and ministry, and I forgot my arrow this morning, so you have to visualize. But remember, accuracy leads to intimacy. Intimacy leads to ministry. And I I want you to know that without any one of those, remember, the arrow flies off target. In fact, in theory, if you put those veins exactly right on the arrow, the point of impact, the point of where those work is on the center line of the arrow. They meet at the center line of the arrow and the accuracy, the intimacy, and the ministry all work in one harmonious unit to make the arrow fly straight. In fact, if you get them off center, even if they're still there, it kind of flies funky. And if we get one of those out of place or off center or lose it, we walk funky in our following of Jesus. Aim was accurate understanding and accurate obedience. Remember when we were talking about, I think it's on the next slide, hon. Remember when we were talking about accurate understanding and obedience, it's much more than understanding what's right and wrong. It's understanding what's true. Do people need to understand truth today? We live in a post-truth world. And so now all of the conflict between various factions in our culture are that we have different versions of truth. Truth is about who God is, who we are what life is about, and what ministry is about. So it's not just knowing right and wrong and drumming up obedience. It's knowing what truth is. The truth is that God loves us. God gave his life for us. I have a dear friend, a saint that we have gotten to know the last five, six years, something like that. Is They've been traveling around a motorhome, and they come to our church Two and a half years ago, they were traveling in a motorhome, and somebody went to pass a semi on a corner, hit them in the driver's side wheel of their motorhome, drove it off the road, and their motorhome went end over end with their truck that they were towing behind them. The reason that our friend Paul lived was that his part of the motorhome was crushed. His seat was pushed out of the side. The side of the motorhome where his dear bride was was totally crushed. And he woke up when they were cutting him out and he said, how's my wife? And they wouldn't answer. And he said in his heart, he knew. And you know what he did? He began to sing praises to Jesus because he said, oh, you've taken her home. This week, as we were talking, we talk regularly, and uh, I was telling about my week, and then I was telling about we're looking for a place to move and live, and whether we're going to get a modular home or a mobile home or a RAV4 and live in it. And I said, you know, I just want what God wants, but I don't trust my own heart. I can say I want to have a home for ministry, but I also want some things in my home. He said, I'm really not concerned about your heart. I want to know God's heart. That's a friend and a man who loves God. And he was reminding me about accurate obedience, which is also, he talks about intimacy.
Are you thankful for a God like that? If that's true, if that's accurate, who wouldn't want to worship and be a friend and a child of a God like that? And I have to tell you, the only time we learn that is what? When others turn and walk away, when he's all we have. And so I just want to encourage you. That's the God of the Bible, the God that we worship, the God that we serve. Thank you. You are moving to the head of the class. Amen. Yeah, but you can't uh, cash the check till eternity. Perhaps, as Dan suggested this morning, that's best measured by our prayer lives, isn't it? And like Dan, I'm really good about being faithful in the Word. I've been involved in ministry forever, but this is my struggle, trusting the God and embracing the God who stays and is stable. The second half of intimacy that we talk about, the way Jesus says our intimacy or love for him is proven is in the way we love each other. Let me say that again. The way that we love Jesus is tested and proven is the way that we love each other. At least as great a miracle as the resurrection of Jesus Christ was. And most of us think, oh, that's the greatest miracle ever. You know what's a greater miracle, at least a greater testimony to those outside of the church? The way we treat each other. We talked about it last week. John 13, 35. This is how they'll know you're my disciples, he says. If you agape one another. Do you know the answer to all the unrest we see in our culture? It's not who's president. It's not even who's governor. It's the church of Jesus Christ that lives out the reality of Philippians 2. I want to encourage you. I think every believer should memorize Philippians 2, 1 to 11. Trust me, I know you won't do your homework this week. I think we should all memorize Philippians 2, 1 to 11. It talks about having the attitude of Christ and considering one another and their needs more important than our own. It's a phrase in there, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit. For many days in our lives, if we didn't do anything out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, we couldn't do anything. It's serving one another. And I will tell you that just like the song we played and people crave a God like that, the world will crave people who disagree but who choose to love. Because if you agree on everything and choose to love, big deal. Those who disagree, some who don't even like each other but choose to love each other, you know what the world says? That's different. This morning now, we're going to talk about ministry, which intimacy always leads to. So, Gary, it's ministry. He's asked me twice this morning, what's M? And somebody said maternity. That's not it. It's it's ministry. The more we're in love with Jesus, the more we can't wait to serve him. It's actually what we were designed for and called to. Let me tell you this. We were all designed for and called to ministry. What's our purpose as followers or disciples of Jesus? Okay. That's certainly part of it. It's about ministry. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to Talk about that passage of Scripture. But let me read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Okay? Yes. 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. My wife always likes it when it's on the screen because she can't read her Bibles anymore. So she likes the big words. Sorry, I, that rerunning. I'm not saying that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works that no one should boast. Do you know those verses? They form the foundation of the EV free doctrinal statement and the doctrinal statement of many churches and many ministries. They're kind of the cornerstone of what we believe. There's a lot of other stuff that we can fight about that really doesn't matter because when we get to heaven, we're going to go, oh, I could have had a V8. Or on the way up, I'm going to tell you, I told you so. I was right. (laughs) When we get to heaven, we're going to go, whoa, that's what he meant. For we are God, we're saved. It's a gift of God. We're saved by grace, through faith. It's not of ourselves, right? We all know that. What's the next verse? Four. It starts with four. What does four mean? It's a causal statement. We're saved by grace, through faith, for something. We're not just saved to be saved. We're saved for a purpose, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're not just saved from something. We're saved to something. God made us to pursue and to practice good works. Now, without a purpose, we are purposelessness. We are purposeless. You know what causes hopelessness? The suicide rate is astronomical right now, among teenagers even. Why? They're hopeless. And why are they hopeless? No purpose. And if we say, go to school to get a good job, to get a good education, to get a good job, they say, why? Because when I die, somebody else gets it. Oh, I'm in the midst of that this week. They're backing stuff up. We have a 20-yard dumpster in our driveway, and all of my stuff is going, all this stuff. In fact, my daughter decided, man, if you're going to move, you're going to start over cleaning. She threw all my socks away. I have no socks this morning. We had to go shopping. But everything we have owned, you know what I've realized? It's all temporary. Life is a temporary ministry assignment. That's all it is. We're all transitioning. Hopelessness is a product of purposelessness. And the purpose we were designed for, the only purpose that satisfies our souls is the works that God created us for. In John 15, which was part of your homework, <clears throat> part of your homework this week, we asked that we would read John 15 through 17, and I, or 14 through 17. Man, I hope you do that. John 15, 16, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. If you read the context of John 15, and the reason I'm asking you to meditate on it, it's that you will find that an accurate picture of God's desire and design for us is intimacy, which overflows in fruitfulness. What's the picture in John 15? The vine and branches, right? And so he says, if you don't abide in me, you will never know fruit. In fact, you'll be cut off. But if you abide in me, fruit is inevitable. What does it mean to abide, to live in, to take up residence in, to to dwell in? The primary purpose of our lives is to bear fruit. That's why you're here. That's why God gave us breath this morning, to bear fruit. The primary priority is to abide, and fruit comes from that. Does that make sense? So God has called us all to ministry. 
When I say the word ministry, we're going to talk about ministry in two halves, ministry of the church and ministry to the world, ministry in the church, ministry out. When my wife's not here, I say ministry in-house and ministry out-house because that's where the real stuff of life exists, right? Let me ask you a question. If I say minister, the word minister, what do you think of? Hmm? Dan. Servant. Good. Good. So often in America, when we say the word minister, what we think is the pro, right? We hire a guy to do ministry. When you're thinking about hiring a guy, you better not be hiring a minister. You're hiring an equipper. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says this, Dan, (laughs) I hope I'm not stealing your sermon. You can clean up the mess I make. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, and let us consider, let us wrestle with, let us think through how to stir each other, one another, up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching, we are here this morning to worship the Lord together, but in doing so, we're here to minister to each other and stir one another up. Last night, I hope you did what I do every Saturday night. I started praying and prepping for this morning. So last night, or as you were preparing to come to church, I I hope that you began to say, God, who's going to be there that needs my ministry? Who needs a word of encouragement? Who needs a air hug? (laughs) Who needs, God, I'm going to minister. We talk about, well, I'm not going to church anymore because I'm not getting anything out of it. How selfish is that? How about what we put into it? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at each other and say, You have a ministry in my life. You have to turn your heads and say something, people. (laughs) You have a ministry in my life. Thank you. Now turn and say this. I'm accountable for and responsible to you spiritually. I'm accountable for and responsible to you spiritually. We don't want any accountability, and we certainly don't want any responsibility. Do you know that it's partly our responsibility for how other people in this room are doing spiritually? Now turn to the person next to you and say, Welcome to the ministry. In some circles, I'd say ministry loves company. I mean, however that phrase goes. We're the ministers, not the paid ones. We, we're all ministers. The second thing is this, we're all different. Look around. Anybody just like you in here? Say, praise the Lord, because one of us is enough right? None of us is perfect. We just feel we're closer than the people that we know. Look at the person next to you and say, you're different. Now, this is all about inflection and tone of voice. If you say, you're different, that's different than you're different. We're different by design. Why are we not the same? Disaster. (laughs) Yes. We're not the same because we need each other. We're different by design. God created me to need some of you. I, I can't do sound stuff, and I certainly can't sing. If I led singing, it would bring tears to your eyes, but not tears of joy. I'm going to sing at my own funeral just to torment people. We're different. We don't have time this morning, but I want you to read. I give you a lot of homework. 1 Corinthians 12, you know it, right? The eye can't say to the ear and the ear can't say to the foot. And the, We need each other. And that's purposeful. 
It's not better or worse. It's different by design. So we all need each other. We're one body, many parts. <coughs> Do you believe that? That's what accurate understanding of what God says is. We, we either choose to believe it or we don't. And accurate obedience means that we pursue and practice ministry with and to each other. If we were all the same, we could compete with each other for who's better. If we're different, we're called to complete each other and be better. Does that make sense? We get to work hard at completing. You guys are in the midst of an opportunity. I talked about that. COVID has taken the church and shook it. And it's taken our individual lives. And it's shaking them. Because we have to evaluate what it is that we as individual believers are to be, what we want to be, and as a church in turn, what it is that we are to be, right? In America, where we have had it so good, and I, like you, I'm concerned about losing our freedoms. But you know where the fastest shrinking church is in the world? United States. You know where the fastest growing church, most people say statistically, is in the world? Iran. Unbelievable what's happening there. So... Is it possible that what we have gotten used to and what we count on and what we demand is the trappings of church, not the reality of being sons and daughters of God and brothers and sisters in Christ? Now, I will tell you, I love having a a building to meet in, especially in February. But is it possible that we need to reassess what is it that we are doing? What do we want to be? And and then you have to ask, what's the primary job or purpose of your future pastor to help equip you to be what God wants us to be? If you're looking for someone to be your minister, I said that before, my personal opinion is that you're looking for the wrong guy. I believe that the job description, ministry of pastors, this is my two cents worth, and I'll give you change because it's probably not worth that much. The pastors and elders, the job description is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's to make disciples. God gives leaders to his church to equip the church to do the ministry. We're all ministers. Now, turn to each other and say, welcome to the ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, if you think I'm all wet, I'm going to let you argue with the Apostle Paul. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers so that we can all come and listen to them. Good. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love... Now, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. I'm going to tell you the truth, brother. You're a sinful wretch. Yeah, look at him. That's not what it means. You know what? I'm going to correct you because you are messing up. You know what it means? Let me remind you who God is. Let me remind you who you are in Christ, dear brother, dear sister. Let me remind you about the God who stays. Let me remind you that God has a purpose for your life that goes way beyond this world. Let me remind you of the truth, dear one, and we will walk together in obedience. That's speaking the truth in love. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who's the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Turn to the person next to you and say, welcome to the ministry. So often in America, we desire to be ministered to. I have a dear friend who is an Ethiopian pastor. He oversees like 300 churches now in Ethiopia we're partnered with. And he was, the last time he was here, he said, Brother, you know what I see in America? People go to the church that has the loudest sound system and the best video. And I thought, bummer, dude. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have those. You know, what a privilege to listen to Matthew West in our presence this morning. But what in Ethiopia they have is each other. And that's it. And in ministry to each other, I believe our primary responsibility is to challenge, to equip, to support each other for the mission of the gospel. Let me ask you this. In your prayer life or in your corporate prayer life, and again, I don't know you that well because I'm just a guest with a flat tire. Can you tell I'm bitter? (laughs) What percentage of our time is spent praying about our physical needs? There's nothing wrong with that. But how much time do we spend praying about God's power in our lives? God, allow us to reach the lost in this community. God, would you blow through our community because of our walk with you? May people be drawn to you because of your people drawn to you. Is it possible that we're so focused on here and now that we forget about there and then? I've been reading a great book. A good friend of mine uh, re- uh, recommended to me. It's called Living Life Backwards. It's on the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon, who was by some accounts the wisest man who ever lived, said this. Better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Because death is the end of every man and woman. And the wise take it into account. We spend an awful lot of time worrying about here and now. And perhaps we should live for there and then in the kingdom of our God, not our kingdoms. This was really pressed home to me as I was preparing to preach this week and my kingdom is going into a dumpster. Dad, when was the last time you used this? Well, I don't know, but it might be tomorrow. (laughs) Ministry to each other. Can I ask you this? Is it possible to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, and not be involved in using our giftedness, whatever that is, to minister to each other? According to the word of God, I don't think so. Because I think the body limps. Now, we're all, not all the same. We're not all supposed to do the same thing. We're not all supposed to preach on Sunday, thank God. But we'd best be involved in doing what God made us to do, or the body is crippled. I've had a, 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 somewhere around a dozen knee surgeries. And after my first one, back in the chaos of the 70s, they just butchered you, you know. They they took a big butcher knife and went in there and ground down and cut stuff up and out. And then they put you in a cast for 10 weeks from my ankle to my groin. I went to the doctor, and I, did, I had a pair of cut-off pants. I had some pants with cut-off legs over the cast. 
And I went to the doctor not even thinking about it, and he said, well, where are your other pants? And I realized I looked at my leg, and I looked like one of those starving children poster things. My, I, I, don't, I got chicken legs anyhow, but um, my calf went down, and then there was my knee. I mean, my, my quad went down, and then there was my knee, and then my calf. And so I'm walking out, crutching out to the car, and this little girl, I, I, I got on the elevator. And this was when I was in college. I was an athlete. She said, ooh, mommy, look at that guy's leg. You know why my leg shrank? It's called atrophy. You know that in the body of Christ, many of us are atrophied. And it has the same effect on the body as my crippled up leg had on my body. It's impossible to be a follower of Jesus Christ and not play a role. The second half of ministry is ministry to the lost. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus says this to his guys. His 12 disciples. He's poured three and a half years into them. It's his closing admonition. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. That's the basis. I'm God. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Look at the bracket. I'm God. I'm with you (laughs) wherever you go. Now, this is a trick question, so be careful. What's the command? Dan's been at the seminar. There's only one imperative in these verses. Make. The others in the original are all helping verbs. Those of you who loved English. Make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. That's the how. The command is to make disciples. Our call is to make disciples. Make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching to obey. Going. The disciples were not told to wait till they come. I have to tell you, dear ones, we're waiting for the unsaved to come to church. And when we do an outreach, what do we do? We put up a banner and say, outreach. And they go, huh? If they were coming, they'd be here in most part. They're not coming. Why don't they want to come here? They're not interested in God. And they see us as hypocrites and phonies. They're not coming, dear ones. So we got to go. The Great Commission is to go. Now, where do we go? What? Where you're planted. You go to the ski hill. You go to the golf course. You go to the... You you can see where my priorities are. You go to the gas station. You go get a repaired flat. You go, you go, you go, and where you go, you are, and who's there then? Jesus! For a number of years, I taught snow skiing, and here's the rule at my old church. You can never introduce me as Pastor Doug outside of the church. You know why? People duck. I just want to be Doug. And then once I'm Doug, they can find out who I am, and then it's okay. But in the ski locker room for a long time, uh, I, there were guys there who knew what I did, and, and nobody knew until after I was a skier first and a friend. 
And then suddenly it came out. And guys would ski up and say, can I ride the chairlift with you? And very seldom was the talk about skiing. We talked about God. The guy who was part owner of the mountain and ran the ski school for a while was a Jewish guy. In fact, he and his family were like the Von Trapps. They walked out over the Alps to escape the Germans. And he was just a little guy, and he remembers walking over the mountains, and he was a Jewish guy. And it turned out there were three of us, all pastors from free churches, who were on staff at the ski hill. And we skied down this run, and one of the guys said, hey, this is my priest. And Hans, who's totally Jewish, said, I'll see your priest and raise you three pastors. <laughs> but guess who would ask me to pray? And when they had spiritual questions, it wasn't because I was a pastor. It was because I had skis going, where we're going, where we're going, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, across the street, across the cubicle. Many of us support missionaries, but we've never told our friends about Jesus. What's the spiritual, don't raise your hand. What's the spiritual condition of your neighbor's? Might I suggest that if we don't know, we might not care? Do we pray for them every day like we pray for the physical needs of each other? The kids next to our house smoke weed on a regular basis. I wouldn't even have to buy it if I wanted to smoke it. In fact, last night we were sleeping in the motorhome because our house was a disaster, and I had to shut the window because I think I was getting high. Now, I can get mad, or I can pray for an opportunity and love some kids who don't know any better. Why would they know any better? If I wasn't a Christian, I'd smoke weed. I'd probably do a lot worse than that because I'd be hopeless. I'm way over time. I'm going to close with this. If you could guarantee that your church would grow by 100 people a year, would you be happy with that? Some of you are thinking, well, the giving would be up. How long would it take to reach the world at 100 people a year? You won't. Never happen. So in the Great Commission, when Jesus said, go make disciples, he wasn't talking about making converts. He was talking about making disciples. And the process is going, baptizing, which is to change their identity. Let them identify in the God of the Bible. Gangs have various colors, right? And if you were to change from the bloods to the crips. That was back in my day. I don't know who they are now. But if you were to change your colors from red to blue, what happened? It was a death sentence. They'd kill you. Baptism is just a a phrase that means we've changed our identity. I've gone from Doug Weber to Doug Weber in Christ, and, and it's a different being. And teaching to obey. Is it easier to teach everything God says or teach to obey? Don't answer, Dan. I want to suggest it's easier to teach to obey. You know why? Because if in discipleship, like Jesus, in a mere three years, he taught 12 guys to obey whatever he said, then it's simply a matter, if if you want to obey God, then whatever you're into... Whatever your decisions are, you'll find out what God has to say about it, and you'll do it. You won't need me anymore. If we get a heart to obey, the battle's over. So Jesus said, teach them, guys. Go teach them to obey everything I said, everything I've commanded you. Teach them to obey, and we'll reach the world. And guess what? They did. 
I want to suggest that we have fudged on Jesus' command. And I have no idea where I'm at in my notes. But I want to show you how this works. Let's say each of you took on the responsibility to reach one person for Christ a year. Share your faith. Invest in them. I mean, that's hard to imagine that in America we'd share our lives in the Lord with one person a year, right? And so it doesn't go very fast, but at the end of 10 years, how many people? Two thousand and forty-eight. Okay, that's not bad church growth. The first few years isn't very impressive, but at the end of ten years, you'd have two thousand and forty-eight people. Now, put up the next slide. At the end of twenty years, two million ninety-seven thousand. 152, roughly. Now, that's bigger than Chihuahua. So what would happen partway through this process? We'd go where the gospel wasn't. That'd be a missionary movement. We'd say, I love my house in Chihuahua. It's comfortable. It's gorgeous. It's one of the nicest places in the world. But the gospel is more important. I'm going to go, or I'm going to send my kids, or I'm going to send my grandkids. Why? Because we're about the kingdom. Now, look at the next one. After 30 years, that's 2 billion. Now we're gaining ground. Look at the next one. 32 years, what's that number? 8.5 billion. What's the population of the world today? About seven, I think. I can't keep up with it. It might be born that today. So let me tell you this. If we took the Great Commission seriously, and it was actually the Great Commission, not the Great Omission, it would take 30 years to reach the world. So what have we been doing for 2,000 years? Not... We've been living for ourselves. Perhaps what God is doing in the church of America is saying, I've wasted a lot of time and money on you and you're self-absorbed. I'm going to work with some Iranians. Now I know one a year is too much to expect Americans to do. So let's give ourselves two years. And the truth is not everybody's going to respond. So we gave ourselves two years That would still be 64 years. It's one lifetime. If not everybody responds, it comes off of that. And we're not starting with two. How many people are in this room? So if half of us, if half of us took this seriously, we've knocked another four years or five years off of it. I'm not saying this for a guilt trip, people. I'm saying this because what would you rather sell your life to? What would you rather give your soul for? Building our kingdom or building his? Now, I know you have jobs. Some of them are paying jobs. (laughs) That's your ministry. You're the pastor at your job. You're the pastor in your neighborhood. Dan and Ginger are never going to reach your neighborhood. And for sure, I'm not. You are. So I want to encourage you. We need to fall on our faces and start praying for those who don't know God and that God might use us. And it's so nauseatingly simple. Maybe someday I'll come back and teach a course on sharing your faith. If I can do it, you can do it. Right? Do you have any interest in spiritual things? You do? What do you think about God? You think he's there? Can you know him? Wow. 
Now, if he said no, I'd say, if you were wrong, would you want to know? No? Okay. And I'm done. You know what 99% of the people will do? Wait a minute, you're not going to tell me? You said no. No, well, let's talk. (laughs) And if God's working in their heart, they'll come back or they'll say yes. But if they say no, I leave it because I don't want to beat them over the head with a ski pole (laughs) or a Bible. God, we're over time. May you encourage and draw us to want to be disciples of you. What a privilege. What a calling. Father, I pray that we will be men and women who crave your word because we want to know you. We want to obey you. Father, we want to be those who run to your embrace as you run to embrace us. We want to be those who embrace your other children as weird as they are. And we want to be those who love the lost as you love the lost and gave your son for them. Father, that's simply what it means to follow you. Anything else is following us and asking you to bless us. May we be come disciples of Jesus the Christ. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the call. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who empowers us to be that and enjoy the run, even when it's hard. In Jesus the Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Please stand and join us.